Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It is episode 11 of Football and Random Things, presented by Iowa Diamond. Jared Stansberry and Jeff Woody here to break down Iowa State's loss to Texas. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, Jared. How are you today? I, I'm very good today. It's uh the it's not it's the first time we have uh we have farted in a while after a loss. This one's a, a sour fart. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that it is. <laughs> you tried so hard not to not to giggle on that one. It is. Uh you actually did end up getting to watch the game live. I did. Yes. Uh, there, there were some situations and the person I was going to go with to the concert had to go back home to visit a, a, a grandparent in the hospital. Uh, so I went and watched the, the movie Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald at 345, which is very good. But uh, there is at the very end, it was one of those like there's let's put it this way. There's another one coming out like for sure. Well, I mean, they are. We already knew they were going to do five. So, yeah. So yeah. they... They, uh, they leave a healthy cliffhanger. I'll say that. I don't even know. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But they broke canon. That's all I'm going to say. They broke canon. They leave a healthy, healthy cliffhanger. We don't do spoilers here on football and random things. But, um, but I will say anyone out there who is a, is a fan of the, the Wizarding World should, uh, should definitely go and see the movie. I enjoyed it thoroughly when I went on opening night. It was, it was good. Um, and I have a, a sister-in-law who is like... If you don't know what to get her for Christmas, you just like search through like Harry, just type in Harry Potter on Amazon. It's like scroll down and find something that she doesn't already have and she'll be thrilled. So like she went and we talked for probably like 30 minutes about said cliffhangers. Uh, what like what was like what happened? What was going on? So it was good. But anyway, uh, afterwards, uh, drove home, watched the game live and it was just like a like that was that w- the sound effect that would perfectly yeah. encapsulate that game because yeah. it was so excited that was a hyped up atmosphere because especially because when west virginia lost both fan bases knew what that meant for this game and so i could only imagine watching like the watching that live on that big old screen in the stadium because everybody's rooting for the same thing then as soon as what they see west virginia lose both fan bases are like yeah Woo, this game matters now and uh then after that it just kind of went downhill and we can kind of get into the the how of that because it's a pretty clear how they did it and like hats off to texas but there are two giant what ifs and they're pretty clear for the game um but i like i said we, we can get more into that as we go i can tell you that everyone very Surely was aware at the Cyclone Fanatic game watch at Whiskey River and Ankeny that West Virginia of, had of lost. what the stakes were uh, once the game had began or once that game had ended. Uh, the drinks were flowing. Celebratory at first. Celebratory at first. And then conciliatory Mine, at the end. The, the, the drinks that I was consuming were anxiety induced <laughs> because once, once I, uh, West Virginia lost, I turned to my friend and I said, I don't think they're going to win. It was like, it, it was like, we got, we got our high too, too early. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, I don't know how this can go up from here. This, it just feels like a nut cuts, nut kick is coming. Well, and I, I didn't feel that that was actually coming. I just felt like with Montgomery being out, there was a, 
significant opportunity for a, a poor half. And Iowa State would have to come out and do a couple. Of, and when we talked about it, you'd have to do a couple of things different in order to make up for him not being there. And mm-hmm. they didn't. And that led to Brock Purdy getting frustrated and jumpy for the first time in what, six weeks, five weeks. Yeah. And so it was, uh, it was, it wasn't ideal, but I think you can long-term this still successfully for Iowa state. We'll dive deep into it. When we come back, you are listening to football and random things. Here's a quick word from our presenting sponsor, Iowa Diamond. This is Iowa Diamond president, Chuck Kuba. After 20 years of serving engagement and wedding couples, I can't help but reflect back on the thousands of wonderful folks we've helped and ask myself, how can we be so lucky? Is it our incredible ring selection or the quiet private atmosphere? Then came the epiphany. Out of all the people in the world, we make you feel like you are the most important people in the world. Because at that moment, to all of us at Iowa Diamond, you are. Visit us at iowadiamond.com or in person anytime. You'll see what I mean. Yeah, I was just waiting for you to finish up saving that. Okay. Well, we were recording all of that now. Cool. Well, welcome back to Football and Random Things. <laughs> for those not aware, during the break, I was making the, uh, the popping sound that Donkey made in Shrek 2 or 3. Whenever they go visit her parents and you just find something else, to, they tell them to shut up. And he go, he said, what do I do then? And he said, anything else? And he starts going. I would hate to go on a road trip with you, I think. <laughs> I, can, I can contain it for the most part. Really, like, what's funny about how random this is, is like, personally, and I think you can attest to this, is like, for the most part, like, outside of a recording environment, like, I'm very, actually very, pretty, I don't talk a ton, uh, but when given the platform to unload all the, the randomness that's going on in my brain, I got it. I mean, it comes out faster and in all directions than I think I even I expect it to. I like to think of this podcast as your therapy session. It's nice. Of sorts. Yeah. It's like instead of getting out your like your deep you know, personal thoughts. It's you all just the, get out your like football thoughts. That, it's the random corners of the brain yeah. that need to eventually like, like opening a window when it's like stuffy and you've had the heat on for a few weeks or for just six or seven days because it's a week apart. You know, it's, you have the heat on and all of a sudden it's a nice enough day. You open the window, let the, you know, let the stuffy air out, let some new air in. That's basically what this is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. And people come along for the ride willingly. So basically, we're just saying you just come on here and blow a lot of hot air. Yep, that's what it is. It's a hot, stuffy air. All right, where do you want to start? Um, I think we could probably start X's and O's more than anything. Okay. Um, and I think the... So this is what I wrote for the registers, breaking this down. And so I can go a little more in detail because I don't have a word count mm-hmm. for this. Um, the, so the, what, what Texas did, and we detailed how you would theoretically stop an RPO offense. And what, like, to, to, to think about that is basically just watch the game tape of what Texas did. Because Todd Orlando called it perfectly. Is without a guy like David Montgomery you have a much smaller margin for error. And so the steps to stop an RPO offense are first and foremost, be able to stop the run game without additional bodies. So you want to have like, uh, anytime you're looking at, you know, we've detailed it last year when we actually doing the podcast, the video podcast where you're drawing on the screen and stuff, you count guys in the box. And so football is not so different from just math that like if you have five offensive linemen, 
uh, quarterback and running back minimally in the backfield, then you've got seven. And so if the assuming that the quarterback doesn't become a blocking threat, then you theoretically have six guys that are going to be blocking at any one given moment. And one guy that's going to be carrying the ball. So you want if you have a six man box, then that is an advantageous run box for you. So if you are an offense, then you can block every one of their six and the ball carrier is responsible for no one. Now, if you can stop the run with six players, think Iowa and think Texas, the two games this year, granted, uh, we did, there was no Brock Purdy, so there was no quarterback run threat. But it's the same thing is that when you could do, when you can stop the run with less bodies, then that pushes the other people back into passing lanes to stop that portion. Now, why David Montgomery changes things is he destroys rule number one. Because even if you do have an advantageous run box for a defense, you got seven guys in the box, Iowa State can still run it because the first guy never gets him down. So you can essentially leave a guy completely unblocked and be like, all right, David's going to get him. And he's going to bounce it all the way back around and run for nine. Like it's not even remotely close to where the play is actually going to be. But even if you completely whiff, he's going to turn it out. Like the first play of the game was this exact thing. They have a safety run through. Like our first play of the second half, excuse me, when Montgomery's in there, they have a safety run through and nobody touches him. Just I means whiff all the way through. And Montgomery stop, shoulder check, pops out the front door for nine. Boom, right now. And so with Montgomery in the game, he, you are forced to commit extra bodies to the, to the box. Otherwise, he's going to run for 300 yards, which then takes at, at least one person out of the passing lanes. And when you have less people, you can be less creative. So you can't change a lot of things. So first, first way to stop an RPO offense is to stop the run with a minimal number of bodies. Second thing is once you have done job number one of stopping the run with less bodies, then when the quarterback does have it, is, is the one doing the reading, you give him as little time as possible to make his read. So you hit him. You make him hurry his decision-making process. You, whether it's blitzes, whether it's linebackers, whether it's defensive ends, when there's an option that you are unblocked to head to the quarterback, you hit him. You head to the quarterback and make him think faster than he wants to. Because a decision, so like why is Kyler Murray, well, Kyler Murray's really good because he's just freak explosive. So let's may, maybe a better example is somebody like, like Marcus Mariota. Like Marcus Mariota is effective because he's extremely patient. And so he can wait wait, 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 guy commits, throw. And so you have that time and we'll ride the entire, maybe it's only two and a half seconds between run fake and where you either have to throw it or decide to run or whatever. But you take those two and a half seconds and you take 2.49 of those seconds instead of, you know, one and a half because you get jumpy. So if you hit a quarterback enough, then you hit him, 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 and you continue to pursue towards that quarterback. And all of a sudden, his decision-making process goes faster. And the windows haven't quite opened up yet. It's not quite the easiest read. So that's step number two is then hit the quarterback and speed his, speed his brain up. Step number three, once you have done that, is just mix everything up. Like, change what the quarterback sees. And so if you're saying, okay, on any given play, like an RPO, like the classic easy RPO would be you have two wide receivers on either side. You have a quarterback and a running back in the backfield. The quarterback, running back's on the right side of the quarterback. So he's going to fake. The running back is going to be the first option. He's going to run from his right to the offensive left. You're looking, the quarterback's looking straight down the line at the defensive end on the offensive right side. So as you're looking at it, just to the right. We're not even going to block that guy. If that guy crashes down to the running back and goes to tackle what he thinks is the ball, then your eyes go right to the linebacker behind him, which you're not going to touch either. 
and then the number two receiver is going to run slant right behind him. And so if that linebacker feels the slant and fades back, now you've got a defensive end that crashes down and a linebacker that plays back, and you have a really soft run lane right there for like an easy six yards. If the linebacker plays up and plays to the quarterback, the slant's going to be wide open right behind it. So now, because you've done, like that's an easy RPO. So there's option one, option two, option three. Give the ball to the quarter or give the ball to the running back, throw a slant or run. It's two reads right kind of in line with each other. You don't have to switch your eyes around. So now if you've done job one of being able to stop the run without committing extra bodies, that means that defensive end is going to take the running back and which pushes your eyes to the next level of something. Well, now if you're forcing the quarterback to speed up decisions, you've put either a linebacker or a safety or something that rushes into his face that goes, I, I cannot hold on to this ball. I can't really run it. And if I do, it's going to be a zero yard gain. And now behind him, instead of playing like an easy zone, like you spin a safety down or you run a linebacker underneath, even though it's a little bit more of a roll of the dice, like you send the middle linebacker way underneath the, under the slant. And so what he sees is he's got about, you know, three tenths of a second to see line, defensive end bury down guy in my face. I don't know what I'm looking at. And then at that point, he either throws a bad pass because he's worried about that guy cutting underneath it or he eats it or he gets sacked or he throws a, maybe it's successful. Like maybe he completes the ball, but it's like, it's probably, you know, a five yard gain, six yard gain, something like that. So you've gotten step number three is, so again, refresh. Step number one, stop the, stop the run with less bodies. Step number two is force the decision-making or force the quarterback to make a decision faster than he wants to. And step number three is then if you've done one and two, once you're forcing him to make decisions faster is vary the look. Make him think for a second with less time. Then the fourth thing is if you have done successfully one, two, and three of stop, like I said, stopping the run, hitting, forcing his decisions and mixing up the defense, you're, you've got them in long down and distance situations. And once they're in long down distance situations, now you got fish in a barrel and you can do whatever you want on that third long. And, and Texas mixed up what they wanted to do. Either they spied a guy because Brock Purdy is sort of like a security blanket. Whenever he gets uncomfortable, he wants to bail. He wants to run because that, that chaos, if you can control the chaos, then you're like, okay, I, I'm dictating the terms of this mess. Even though it's a mess, I'm dictating the terms of it. Well, what they did is they spied a linebacker sometimes. And when he did decide to bail and tried to control the terms of the mess, the linebacker ran up on him and wouldn't let him control the terms. So he was, even if he did get the ball off, it, he wasn't able to scramble and set like he likes to. It was like scramble and throw at a dead sprint. And maybe you get something to happen, but it's again, faster than he wanted. The option number two is you blitz the bejesus out of him. Like you send as much pressure towards him as you can and make him know that there is contact that is coming. So the, what Texas did is to a T hit every one of those points. They went and they, they were able to stop the run because their defensive line and linebacker, more so their defensive line than their linebackers, but their defensive line did a really good job of just pushing back against Iowa State's offensive line. We've seen it before. And when 32's in there, like we talked about before, when 32's in there, you can miss entirely. Yeah. And still, you end up with six yards because he's so good. Well, and it, it felt like, too, where when they were pushing the offensive line back, that was another spot where they really missed him. Just the he's a good blocker. He is. At that running back spot. And that's a good safety valve to where then all of a sudden you don't have that guy. You mean, Sheldon and Kane and Johnny, they're just not that they're not as good as him at that. No. And the, they really missed that, I think, in the first half. Well, and, time. So like the uh, the Brecken Hager, that sack. 
that was on Kane. Like that was that was his responsibility. When you have a play action and that guy comes through, what uh, uh, our coach always used to say is FDF, forget or expletive the fake. So forget the fake. Like you don't need the, the fake doesn't matter if there's a guy that's running butt naked through the offensive line and you, you're he's going to hit your quarterback in the teeth. Forget right. it. Go block him. And then you have to get that job done. And Kane just whiffed. Like he he didn't see it coming soon enough and then tried to fake, and then didn't get out there, like he just missed him. And that will come with experience, like knowing where that guy's coming from. And granted, it might not have been his ideal, his responsibility, but you are, you are the safety protection. You're the only line. You're of the only line defense, of defense between yeah. a, a defensive lineman and a quarterback. Like you got to get in his way at some point. And so that, that Hager sack, a, a lot of times, like one thing about a quarterback, they always like announcers will say in the game, like, oh, he's got his eyes down. What eyes down means is there's really, as a quarterback, you have to know what the entire field is doing and specifically two general regions. When they say uh, he keeps his eyes up, that's a good thing because you're looking at the, the coverage and then knowing what your routes are, you know where that coverage is weak and you know where your strongest throw is supposed to be. And so you're looking at what's going on down the field. You feel then like sort of when someone stands too close to you behind you, you have this like hair on the back of your neck. That's like, can you just get away from me? I don't know what's going on back there, but I don't like it. That's how the pocket has to be is you have to know your protections and be like, okay, generally speaking, I've got four guys rushing. I've got a five man pass rush. My man sides to the right, my zone sides to the left. If this is susceptible somewhere, it's probably susceptible on my right side. So then that's kind of where you peak. Yeah. Like, okay, this is not necessarily peak, but like keep the, the back of your mind on that spot. And so a lot of times if you go, okay, I know that I'm protected on my left side. Like that's where these, these huge blind side hits come from. Or like the sacks that like the quarterback, you can tell he doesn't know where, like, it's like, oh shoot, it's something right there. Uh, that is when someone misses an assignment. Like Kane was supposed to block Hager on that play and then just whiffed entirely. So in Brock's mind, he sees Montgomery like he knows his responsibility and he's never really had that uh, the situation arise when the running back's responsibility is not taken care of. Mm -hmm. It's not that he hasn't had that, but it's just it's just, it's more rare. And so in his mind, like a beautiful mind thing is like and this it sounds weird, but like I would almost kind of see that like on the field of like he's going here and he's going here and he's going here. So when I run it or when I block, I'm going to take this guy. And so in, in Purdy's mind, he's got these guys checked off of like, I know that I'm protected here. I've got time to stand where I want to stand. Well, all of a sudden miss and it, it pops up. So now you have, I think there are three sacks in the first half, three or maybe four. And all of a sudden that comfort level with that back of your mind confidence of knowing where you're standing is gone because you don't know whether it's Kane or whether it's the offensive line getting rattled or the fact that Texas brought every conceivable blitz. Like they ran, they ran safeties out from like midfield or like, you know, center field and just screaming as fast as they could through the a gap, like weird stuff that Iowa state probably hasn't seen before. Um, and so Purdy's comfort level, independent of having a good run game, Purdy's comfort level at the, in these long down and distance situations was again, you're shooting fish in a barrel. If you're Todd Orlando, because you hit him once or twice because the, either the, like I said, either the running back misses it, or you, you know, you, you beat somebody on the, on the end and you get a sack or two. Now the quarterback's jumpy. And so you've got him not confident on his reads in the early downs. Then you've got him not comfortable in the later downs because he can't throw from the pocket, nor can he really scramble that much. Right. So this big cascade of stuff that happened down the road all comes from the fact that 
you your the core of your offense didn't didn't work successfully. Like had in order for it in order for it to have worked successfully, Iowa State would have done one of two things probably. One is block a lot better. And I don't mean that in the sense of like they blocked poorly, but they blocked okay. And this that's kind of how they've blocked for the entire season is they blocked okay. Like they've done a commendable job. All five of these guys come back, correct? Yeah. Like for next year are, yeah. are slated to come back. So they're going to continue to get better. And I'll, I'll be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the youngsters came in and pushed them. Yeah. So some of those guys that are, I mean, Trevor Downing and Joey Ramos. Yeah, and and maybe they do. And yeah. so they've they've done okay this year. It, it like early in the season it was bad. Like against Iowa, granted Iowa's defensive line is really good, but against Iowa they were awful. And they've gone from awful to okay. So it's been market improvement across the season, but 32 makes a lot of things hide. Like like you said someone misses a someone whiffs or like like combo doesn't get off to a linebacker. Right. That linebacker still doesn't get him to the ground, and it looks like a really good play because he gets 12 yards. And it's an okay blocking scheme, or an okay job blocking, but it's not a great job blocking. Well, and at the end of the day, too, is, you know, is, they've been better, and they've uh, definitely improved. At the end of the day, they have not played another team with athletes to the level of what Texas has. Right, outside I mean, of Iowa. Outside of Iowa. And even then, I mean... The kids that Texas is throwing out there, I mean, I bet if we went back and looked at it, of the four guys they start along the defensive line, probably three of them were four or five-star recruits. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, for, for just how good they are. I still yeah. think Iowa's back seven, like why they've been really bad on defense, Iowa's back seven has been, one, decimated by injuries, and two, didn't start out that good in the first place. And we, we hyped up their defense really well because that defensive line is so good. Yeah. But I think Matt Nelson... Um, for sure, AJ Epinesa. Like, AJ Epinesa is going to be a first-round pick. Like, probably a top-15 pick once he does decide to come out. Um, Matt Nelson's really good. I think uh, the, the Anthony Nelson, I think, is another pretty, like, pretty solid player. Um, so Parker like, Hesse's pretty good, too. Parker Hesse's good. He's, he's more scrappy, like, as far as an NFL pedigree. I don't think he's got an NFL guy. He's little for an NFL defensive end. But anyway, um, but yeah, like, they're, they're up against a good defense. And they had, in order to do things successfully, like, there, like I said, there's two ways they could have done it. One is just do, run the same offense, but the offensive line had to execute higher or at a higher level than what they had done previously, which is really tough to do. Like, obviously, if you're going to execute higher, you just would have done it by now. Like, you would have just been better. Yeah. Um, and again, that's not to say they were bad, but you, nothing's perfect. And those, like, little mishaps of, you know, like, again, if, if that first play when, when Montgomery was in in the second half and you whiff a safety on one of the blitz or one of the blitzes, Johnny Lane probably gets tackled for a loss there. Yeah. But Montgomery is so good that he doesn't. And so if they worked with these guys in there that are just not David, then you're going to have to make sure that you're if they're going to give you a run box like six, then you're going to you're going to take advantage of that run box by blocking at least five of them. And then that one, you can leave for a read or you can leave for Kane to outrun them or Johnny to make somebody miss. Like they're good enough to do that. Um, but they didn't do a great, they did, they did again, the same thing they've done for the past, which is just okay. The second thing then, oh, sorry. Well, I was just, cause I, I mean, there were flashes where the offense showed, you know, inability to be able to make plays. Mm -hmm. It was like every time they'd make one, they couldn't capitalize on it. Right. You know, there's the one, and some of those I think are just, you know, it's just bad luck. Like the one that Hakeem makes the catch on the sideline and, and misses it by like right, a blade. Yeah. Like one blade of grass he, away from being a, 
a long, 24 yard catch or whatever it was. Exactly. And then, you know, there's that. I mean, Kane had one good run that they weren't able to do anything with. Lang, I think, popped one for 15. Yeah, there's one where you, you threw the ball down to Matt Eaton down the sideline that you would have had it would have been in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And it just pops out of his hands like as he hits the ground. And it's that kind of stuff. You know, it's like it they're that close to making it a, a much different game. Mm-hmm. And even in the at halftime, it was 14-0 at halftime, right? 17. Four, yeah, 17-0 at halftime. Okay. 17-3, so excuse me. 17-3. Okay, you're one score away from that game being a lot different. Right. You know? And there was a lot of points where it's like, man, they can just get the end ball in the end zone one time. Like, yeah. this is a much different and, game. And we kept – I reference this every week. You know, that, that group chat I have with Arnaud Spears and A-Rob. Um, A-Rob and I see, it, see football really similarly. And so the thing that we kept saying, because like, if, for those of you that know Zach Spears, he's just a wildly reactionary fan. Like one of those, like they he, to take the Cowboys for example. Like the Cowboys when they lost like two straight, he was legit saying like fire Jer- like Jerry Jones needs to sell the team and like Dak needs to get fired and whatever, whatever. And uh, they've won two in a row now, and he has officially said that like, hey, there's plenty of room in the Cowboys bandwagon. This year's our year. Like within like a three weeks time span, he's gone from fire everybody to come join the, the bandwagon. So within a game, it ebbs and flows that much, which is an experience. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and I'm sure there are people watch games with fans like that. Like that is very much not me. And so A-Rob and I are very just level-headed, like, okay, it's, this is not ideal, but we understand the fact that you get 32 back in the second half. Keep it within seven to 10. Like if you can stay in seven to 10, within yeah. seven to 10, you don't get the ball back in the first or at, at the start but like you can do something with seven to 10 points, but then it was 14. And then they go on that long drive that I thought was fine, but they didn't come out with any points, which again is not ideal, but you show that you could do it. And then the next drive, once they did get the ball back, because I think they, it was long drive, no points. And then they, Texas went back. And at that point was the Lil Jordan Humphrey touchdown, I believe. And then at, after that point, Iowa state was playing down by three scores. And like, there's no way you're going to come back from that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we just kept saying like, keep it within seven to 10, keep one score, like a one score game. That's your, that's your goal is just keep it close for 32 to get back. Um, so I, I mean, we don't want to be the, the people that say like, oh, we just didn't execute. And that's why the other team lost. Cause you make fun of those people every single week because they say like, oh, Iowa state's defense. Yeah. Oh, we just played poorly. Like props, oh, to, no, Texas. Like, props to Texas. Like right. they, they won the better team on Saturday won. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say too, and this is what I was going to ask you. This is two years in a row now that we've seen this where what we've seen from Iowa State's offense almost every other week leading up to the Texas game does not happen when they play against Texas. Do you feel like Texas has Iowa State's number on some level, this staff against Iowa State's staff? Uh, I don't know if it's they have their number because you look at this, the context of last, week, last year. It was the Jacob Park. Yeah, his, that's, that's his, a little different. His final game before he got... That's his melt, it was his meltdown. Game. Right. And then this year you have, you're without Montgomery for the first half. So like, I think it's two coincidences. Then it like, if it happens next year, then that's a trend. Like happens once it's an instance happens twice. It's a coincidence. And then happens three times. It's a trend. So like, I think it's just coincidental that back to back years, there's just been weird context that has allowed Texas to, to physically control Iowa state. Um, but next year, I mean, let's assume that, Again, making the assumption of 32 and 18 returning, you lose Matt Eaton and Sam Seenbuckner. Every other player on the offense that played on Saturday returns. Mm-hmm. And 
great. Like I, it's in the next year's game again is in Ames in November. Cool. Like what's the, the, I, I don't think I, I don't see any like real negatives. The only thing that so like, I'm not necessarily super disappointed with how the game went because it's sort of like, it's not what you wanted. So like, the, you know, when you say like, Oh yeah, I expected that. Like, of course, like I didn't expect them to lose and only score three points in the first half but you didn't not expect it to happen. Like there is that positive expectation, like a negative expectation of like, this could go poorly in the first half. And it's not going to be surprising, you know, had, had they come out and gone three and out on every single drive and then thrown two interceptions, like that would have been surprising, but it just went less than perfect. Yeah. So it wasn't like, it wasn't extremely surprising. It wasn't horrible. It was just, they only executed at, like they only execute at the level that they had before, which left them right. And it's not like wanting. It's not like they went out and like what you said. They go three and out on every drive, and then they throw two interceptions. And you know, it's like just you look at it. And it's like, well, that was a throw ass kicking mm-hmm. right there. You know, uh, you don't leave that game completely demoralized. It's like, man, we. I think we got exposed. Yeah, you know, I don't think they got exposed by any sense of the imagination it texas was better than them that day on that day yeah on that day i still think that that the iowa state team that we've seen at times this year would be able to beat texas Mm -hmm. and and again you play the what if game there are two very significant what ifs significant what if number one is obviously montgomery like if he plays in the start of the the start of the game does the game start off the way it does because iowa state got the ball and they essentially went four and out like they got a first down and then punted right after that so you you get a little bit more like you ride the crowd and Texas doesn't get to. And then maybe that next drive doesn't go as super successfully as it did before or as it did, you know, their first drive doesn't go like right down the field into, into the end zone through a specific someone. Mm-hmm. We'll get we'll get to that in the next second. But anyway, then you so like you ride the wave of you ride the wave of momentum and the crowd's hyped and then you drive down and it takes six minutes off the clock. And even if you kick a field goal, then that they get the ball with like 8.30 on the clock and everybody's juice that they had before the game is now worn down. Yeah. And that, that maybe the tone of the game is completely different. The, the what if game you can play is huge. Then, but then the second what if is on the other side. Like what if Ellinger doesn't get hurt for the second half? Again, in this, whether, whether, whether or not he has, we, Iowa State has Montgomery, whether, like if he has, you know, if he plays the entire second half, Iowa State probably struggles to stop Texas again. Unless you have an offense that can counterbalance time, I mean, I would I would say they struggled to stop them anyway because Shane Bouchot went ten for ten passing. Yeah, they, in they, the second half, so and they scored seven points. Yeah, like ten for ten passing. Woo! Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm saying, do Basil? I'm saying, but it's like they didn't do. They obviously didn't do that great. Of it was Texas better. went like twenty two of twenty five throwing the ball on the entire day. Yeah, and, it's and, not like the defense was out there tearing it up in the right. second half against Shane Bouchot. But I, you know what I mean, where it would have been if there was a necessary need to have pushed the score, because yeah, yeah. they were trying to sit, like they were trying to hatch an egg the entire time. They weren't trying to actually do anything. And so they were, every pass was underneath except a third and whatever, when they threw it up to Humphrey. And that, that was like, that was an embarrassing play. Like to me as a, as a, a, a cyclone fan watching, like that was the only of the entire game was the only thing that was embarrassing was that one play. And I, I don't, and of all people to have that happen to, it's Iowa's best secondary player in Brian Peavy. It's just little Jordan Humphrey's a freak. And 
that wasn't a good play for PB. And the problem is, is you're on an island. I mean, that pros and cons playing that position, like you want attention, you got it. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's looking at you when it happens. If you make that defense, like that Eaton play, like number two, Chris, whatever his name is, the, the, the corner. That guy made a great play on Eaton. Like he, he, he disrupted that pass from actually happening. You look at that and you go, great job. Then PV makes a play on the other side and it's not a great job and everyone remembers it. So it was, uh, I don't know. Like I said, I don't think it was a, an exceptionally poor game. They just missed. They were, they were just okay. And in a game like that, that's as juiced as it was, you need to be better than okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We'll talk more about Iowa State's defense when we come back. You're listening to Football and Random Things presented by Iowa Diamond on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Hey, guys, it's Williams here. On the podcast, on our radio shows, we talk a lot about point spreads, you know, all that stuff. To be honest, I'm not a big better, but I'm really just fascinated by that industry. And I want to recommend a service to you guys today if you're interested in that sort of thing. MyBookie.ag is the website. If you join right now, And if you give them our promo code, they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. This is a really good deal. Our promo code is 2427. Again, that promo code is 2427. They have live in-game, live betting. They're in the business for you fantasy guys out there. You can bet over-under on fantasy points for players. There's all sorts of really cool things. MyBookie.ag. Again, that promo code is 2427. You play, you win, you get paid. MyBookie.ag. Hello, Fanatics. This is Chris Williams. There are few financial commitments you will make in your life that are more important than where to get your mortgage from. That's why I want to tell you about my friend Jason Larson at Gershman Mortgage in Ankeny. Here's a real review from a client on Facebook. Jason was amazing to work with. He kept in contact with us where we were at throughout the whole process. When we went to sign, he had coffee and donuts for us that morning. He was super kind and helpful, and we said we would refer him to anyone looking to buy a home. Now, that's just one review. Jason Larson, Gershman Mortgage in Ankeny is an equal housing lender. Their NMLS number is 138063. Give them a call at 515-554-6177. Please tell him that Chris Williams and Cyclone Fanatics sent you. Welcome back to football and random things. Yeah, I mean, going back to what we were talking about, kind of at the tail end of of uh, of that last segment, that first drive, they made that look awfully easy. And there's awfully a, there's easy. A very. And we talked about this off air. I I genuinely do not understand how Demonte Ruth continues to work his way back into corner. He plays well on special teams. That's a role that he he actually excels in. He's very good on special teams. But in the secondary, Texas was finding him. They looked for him. There were three, the three large, the three big pass plays were either directly in man coverage against Demonte Ruth or as a blown zone coverage that Ruth had. And I don't mean that in the sense that he was the one that should have been covering him, but there is clearly a lack of communication in passing one of them off in order for that to actually work. So uh, it, it doesn't make sense to me why they went to start him in a game like this because how outside of... So if like for the rest of the game, how many big pass completions were actually made? 
the one to Humphrey. I was say the which, one to Humphrey. Which is just, I mean, that's a freak making a play. Like, yeah. tip your cap to him again. Somebody makes a play. Somebody doesn't make a play. Uh, it's one-on-one. They were playing tight coverage. Like, there is, it's too deep. Man, like, it's, it's going to, like, it happens. it happens. Good work. Yeah. But other than that, what big plays were made in the passing game? Most of the big plays were runs, if there were big plays. But most of the time, I mean, for the rest of the game, it was, you're just gradually chipping your way down the field, make, making them earn it. And I think I've heard one of the defensive players, and I think it was Willie Harvey in one of the post-game interviews with, with Eric Heft, said or one of our defensive mottos is make you run another play. Like that's, they, for the, honestly, for, the, for most of the game, they did a good job of making you run another play, which led to a missed field goal, which led to you know, getting stalled and having to punt, like, which led to good things by just making you run another play. What didn't happen on that first down or that first drive was making them run another play. You gave up probably 60 yards of that drive were on three completions against one dude. Like, I, I, I mean, maybe he is, I mean, you mentioned this, maybe he's a really good practice player, but the role that he is in to me, and again, we don't have inside information. Maybe he is doing a good job and this is just a, the worst luck on the planet, but he's gotten fired from f- like five different times in the season. Oklahoma, he gives a, like, there's a big, that, the, the play to Hollywood Brown, that's Ruth, gets fired for the rest of the game, doesn't come back in the secondary. Against Akron, gives up a big touchdown pass, gets fired for the rest of the game, doesn't come back in. Against Baylor, gets fired in the first, dri- first couple, like, big drives that go down, gets fired for the rest of the game. Against West Virginia, he had actually gotten fired earlier, because he just didn't play, because that was when Daytron Young was actually playing pretty well. But then, against Texas, like, he, after that first drive, he did not play in the secondary. One snap for the remaining portion of the game. And it makes me wonder, like, I just, I don't know what the point of him playing that position is. I mean, clearly valued member of the team. And again, I'm saying this from a guy that if I was an every down back, the offense would have had to be completely different. So if you're putting me in a situation where I have to be a spread running back, where I have to be like, I have to be Kaneda Wangu, I'm going to suck at that job. Like, it's just not going to be good. And so the situation doesn't match the player. And maybe that's the case that he doesn't match the position. I, I just don't get it because you, again, you clearly, clearly saw Texas going, all right, we got Colin Johnson against where's number six. So Humphrey 84 or number nine, number nine, right? Is Colin Johnson number six. Either way, I don't like remember. we've got Humphrey and Johnson. One of them is going to be on number six. Where is he? There he is. Throw at him. Same thing happened the next day. Same thing happened the next play. Same thing happened the next play. And it was throw, throw, throw. And eventually get down on the red zone. You're on your heels because big, big, big play. All of a sudden, Ellinger gets to walk in for the touchdown. So I, it just, I, that was to me the thing that stuck out the most, like on that very first drive is like, what is he doing in that position? I don't, okay, we don't know everything. I don't, I, there's something there. We don't know what it is. I mean, speak for yourself. But I don't know what it is. But like, I'm just kidding. It just <laughs> like I I would like to I would like to have even in like maybe DeAndre Payne. He's he's a more natural safety. But move DeAndre Payne back to corner. Put Lawrence White in at safety, and then you have Braxton Lewis, Craig Eisworth, and Lawrence White running most of your safety play, and then you've got. DeAndre Payne at corner. And then if you want to put DeMonte Ruth in, you put him in that star, that, that, that nickel position when they do come out with an extra wide receiver. But it just, it did not. See, that, it, that was to and, me the big problem on, on the first drive. And it's one thing with some, some of the mistakes that it seems like he makes, 
you know, it's one thing if that's Daytron Young or if it's Anthony Johnson, and it's like those two kids are freshmen, and you're like, or even Arnold, right, Arnold Azuna, you he's, know a, he's a sophomore. Yeah, it's like, all right, chalk that up to just not being very experienced. Devontae Roos, a fifth year senior, you know, and it's like, it, it, this is what bothers me about it, and I'm not. This is honestly this hurts. I, any, this hurts me to do because like yeah, I yeah. don't like calling out one dude. No, and again I don't know. But I, it, I'm, it I'm takes, also not. It's gonna, taken this long for it to get to this point where we're like it legitimately is like okay this is a problem. But I'm not. And again I don't want to say this as like he is a bad player. No, it is just doesn't seem like it's the right fit where him playing as a corner does not appear to suit him in the suit his strengths in the way that putting him in a different position would. Well, and that's what I was gonna say. I. DeMonte seems like a great kid from every interaction that I've ever had with him. But it feels like this is too, much, too hard of an attempt to keep putting the kid back on the field. It's like, okay, we're going to give you one more shot, DeMonte. You know? And it's like, man, like, well, how many times do you have to do something before you stop getting your like, one more shot? You yeah. know? And, and it's happened too many times now. It's, it, like you said, you, it, it, I don't know what it's, – it's like the definition of insanity. You do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. Like, what What do you expect to change? Do you think all of a sudden he's going to be Brian Peavy? Probably not. Yeah. You know? And the, and like you have said, the teams are have gotten to the point now where they pick on him. They find number six, and they will throw at number six if he's on the field. Clear. I mean, Baylor did that to a T. Yeah. As you could see Charlie Brewer when they gave up, because the, the last touchdown that they scored heading towards the, the Jacobson building, they, you could see Charlie Brewer scan and double take back to number six and be like, no, is he, oh, sweet, he's over there. And they threw it, just like catch, throw it six miles up in the air and let somebody go catch it. Like, you, he's not going to come down with this ball. Go do something. And I believe that DeAndre Payne is probably going to be, he's best at playing safety. I mm-hmm. feel like that's probably his natural position. But if you don't have Daytron Young, right now you might not even have DeAndre Payne from what Matt Campbell was saying on the teleconference this morning. So you're going to have to figure something Anthony, out. I think Anthony Johnson and Arnold Azuna. You've got to put those kids. And then Lawrence White the has to move back to safety. They got to be, be the guys. The fill-in. Yeah. Because that just right now, what that, that stopgap plan did not work. It hasn't worked the entire time that you've tried it. Yeah. They need, D, they need Daytron Young back. That's what they, they need, need as much as or anything. Or for one of those other two guys to grow up. Yeah. You know? Like this is where... To me, this sound like this as a guy looking from a different perspective. Um, you can also, I would think, equally then blame Anthony Johnson or Arnold Azuna for a lack of performance because, granted, those guys did a fine job, but how you earn a job is by basically saying, like, God beat him out. F you, pull me out. I dare you. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of performance that you would have. Like, the, and I'll use this again from personal experience, not to say, Hey, look how good I am, but this is how I got my chance to actually start playing, which gave me the opportunity to get a scholarship, which whatever, whatever, whatever. So in the, in 2009, we got to the pinstripe or excuse me, the, uh, the insight bowl and we go down to Phoenix. And so I'm one of three freshmen running backs, James White, Bo Blankenship and I were three freshmen that came in in the same year. I was the only walk onto the bunch. Bo Williams and Jeremiah Schwartz were the two backups for Alexander Robinson. So I'm sixth on the death chart coming into fall camp. And I got on, I got to go to fall camp because they wanted to use me for special teams. And I had sort of proven it. I've done a serviceable job on special teams. And uh, during scout team, I had done a, I mean, this not very hard, but like 
Bo Williams didn't pay attention. So like he never, he never tried. And so I, all three of us, James, Bo, and I all naturally moved up above Bo. And so Williams doing nowadays, uh, if what he's actually doing, what he says he's doing are two completely different things. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to zip past that one. Okay. Um, but so now I'm on, I'm fifth in the depth chart because you have two scholarship guys and then me that are, that are blown. And then Jeremiah Schwartz and Alexander Robinson are the two guys that are essentially playing or like getting actual snaps. Well, a Rob is clearly the best of the bunch. Like he is, you don't need to have him practice because if, if he's practicing and he gets hurt in a thud drill and you, you know, he dislocates a shoulder in a drill that really doesn't matter, that is stupid. And so naturally he's not going to play in a lot of different stuff. And then Jeremiah Schwartz is then essentially during bowl prep, he is essentially the number one running back because we know what A-Rob was going to provide. He was a junior at the time. Like he doesn't need the reps. He knows what the, he's going to take mental reps. He's going to look from behind. He's going to make sure like Arnaud was doing the same thing. Like, you know what you're going to get from Arnaud. As long as you're getting work with his receivers, mm-hmm. um, and also a quarterback's a little bit less risky, even if you are doing tackling drills, he's got the red jer- or the, the green jersey on or whatever that says don't touch him. Um, so you have, uh, for running backs-wise, you now I've now bumped from sixth to fourth because one dropped down and the other one isn't playing. So now it's Jeremiah Schwartz and then three freshmen. So I'm still fourth on the depth chart. And so you get rotations with the threes. And so... Jay Schwartz has taken most of the reps, the ones doing a fine job. Then with the twos, you have Bo and James that are cycling with the twos and I'm running with the threes. So with the threes, I, I did very well and like performed well with the threes because I had prepared a lot. The so, three, the threes that entered the jungle, the threes, <laughs> stop it. But anyway, so I get knocked up to work, actually work up with the twos and in one of our scrimmages against the twos, because I think like James had, you know, he'd, he'd run just like seven or eight plays in a row was gassed and Bo had like, like heard it. He had been playing on special teams as true freshman. So like they took a little bit better care of him because James and I were redshirting, And so Bo, uh, Blankenship, he like, yeah, hurt like a toe or something like that. And so he was out. And so I was taking, like, I had the opportunity to run reps with the twos and the two, it was the two offense versus the one defense. So I had worked my way from sixth at the start of camp to now working with the twos against the ones. And in that opportunity, we ran some, I don't know, some type of toss or power play, whatever. And it was like a thud drill. Like it wasn't even a tackle drill, but I'm a walk-on kid trying to earn a scholarship and get myself some playing time. And so one of the safeties comes, that was James Smith. Like James Smith comes up and he wants to like make a little bit of a tackle. And I trucked him like flat out hit, knocked him on his ass and made a statement. And I didn't have to do that. Like clearly it's a thud drill. Like you can just accept the contact, but like, made a point to do as best I could because that got, got a, a notice of like, Oh shit. Like yeah. Woody's here to play. And so then I got more snaps and I got more snaps and I did that again. And I did that again and did that again. And all of a sudden by the end of bowl prep, when a Rob was out, I was working with Jay Schwartz as the, as working with the one offense against the two defense over the course of a three week span. Again, that's not to say, look how good I am because that's a situation that arose because like, a combination of luck and things. But when you get your chance, you make such great plays that they can't ignore you. Yeah. And so to, to bring this back to what we brought about, what we talked about before is you can probably blame Anthony Johnson and Arnold Zuna for having good, but not great play, make them go, Oh shit. We want to get six back on the field, but we, we can't take this guy off. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that other, that other cornerback position, Datron Young had become that. So he had done 
what I was just talking about of being like, this dude is balling. Like we can't take number is 28, right? 25. Week 25. We can't take 25 off the field. He is, he is clearly, he's put a stranglehold on that job and the other two guys have it. And so those two are probably equally, equally responsible for giving up those big plays as number six is because if you haven't strangleholded the job with how open he's left that door, like clearly six has been fired four times. Like somebody else step up and steal the job. Mm -hmm. That's what these, it's what he's trying to get. I mean, the, the coaching staff is saying like somebody take it. Like clearly we want someone else to do the job, do it better than what anybody else can do it. So I, that, that bothered me in the first drive that he got the chance. But again, you can't fully place the blame on him. That's a blame on bad fit, potentially. It's a blame on the other two guys not having seized the opportunity to steal that job. I think Anthony Johnson's done a good job. He's probably did better than number four. But still, there's not a stranglehold position. There's not a, this is my job. Pull me off the field, damn it. Like, that's the kind of, that's what they needed to do, and that's not what they've done. And then the, the back half of the, 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 as far as defense is concerned, the back half of the game, what amazed me is the tackling was pretty poor. Um, and they had done that against Oklahoma, where the tackling was just garbage against OU. And against Texas, it was bad. It wasn't OU garbage. It was just not. Yeah, th there was just moments where it was like, all of a sudden, dudes wanted to get on Sports Center for like number three. Yeah, ja Jaquan Bailey. Like it's just he, like he all played, of a sudden I'm going to try and lay you out and get myself on Sports Center. That was probably Bailey's worst game that he's had all year. Yeah, I think. Like he he was not getting a successful pass rush. Uh, he was like when he would stunt, he would stunt way too far. Like that, the big run that I think 25, whatever the running backs number is. So the big run that the guy had straight down the middle of the field that Lawrence White chased him down on, um, I, if I remember correctly, was a stunt and, and Bailey went just way past everything, like just overshot the entire where his gap was supposed to be, which is what left that truck size lane right down the middle is because he just whiffed. And so there was stuff that like they did that didn't make sense and that, that they had not done previous times. And I think part of it because they were tired because it's a big offensive line. They were on the field for like 78 minutes. and but also just because I think, I don't know, it's like a frustration thing of like, we need to do more. Like we have to do, we have to get a fumble. Like we have to cause a fumble here to get our offense a chance. Mm -hmm. Like maybe because they're not a, whatever, but they, they, the defense played, I think poorer than the offense did because you'd expect the offense to be a little bit lackluster without your best player. Um, but I, I don't know the, the def the tackling thing wasn't not great. Not great, Jared. Yeah. I mean, I, it was, it, there was just a lot of uncharacteristic things happening where you're like, it's like, what, what are you doing? You've been done this all year. Yeah. You why, why are you misfitting gaps? And I think that it, we, I think we really have discounted how much Jaquan Bailey misses his buddy on the other side. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in, it, with 50. yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I mean, I, I think the entire defense specifically misses him, mm -hmm. but Jaquan has essentially been non-existent since. Because they just shift everything. To right. Him. Since any got hurt. Yeah. And I mean, he had what? Six and a half sacks coming out of the. The West Virginia game. And then any gets hurt on the first play of the Texas Tech game. I don't think he has a sack since. He, yeah. I don't even know if he has a QB hurry. I don't remember one. Yeah. I mean, the guy, he just hasn't been the same player. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think that's concerning. He might 
maybe he's just not as, as good as what we thought, or teams are just giving that much more attention to him that it's like he just has no chance. But probably, now he's pressing a little it's bit. It's probably more the latter of he's getting the attention now that he that he didn't get before because you had to stay balanced because number 50 was over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 76 is in the middle and 50 is the other side. You're going to need to send two of them to one. Like, but three, those three guys usually necessitate two people. And if you have a, a five-man offensive line, then two go to Iwazarike, two go to Lima, one goes to Bailey, or one goes or two go to Bailey and two go to Lima, and then one goes to Wazarika, and you have these one-on-ones. So now you have Matt Leo on the other side, who is at the current moment single blockable. He doesn't know what he's doing still fully yet. Like we forget that that guy's been playing football for like three years. Yeah, um, he's a freak, and he's done made a nice play. He's and, get a sack the other and night. has been significantly steadily improving. Yeah, but improvement is not success, right? So. Um, I think that one of the things that I've also that you notice too is so that he gets hurt all of a sudden their pressure that they were able to generate with three has essentially gone away mm-hmm. for the most part. And now the blitzes that they were sending earlier in the year, the delayed blitzes and that kind of stuff that were working specifically against West Virginia, they're not working because now I think it, teams are anticipating those blitzes coming mm-hmm. instead of, I mean, against West Virginia, they'd gotten pressure with three so well in those first few games that's like we don't the, the blitz is a change up. Yeah. That's our that's our curveball, you know. And now it's gotten to the point where in a pass rush situation, the blitz is your fastball. You don't have like you can't just send the three guys mm-hmm. and, and and anticipate getting the same level of pressure. So now quarterbacks know to anticipate that and then they're throwing right into some of those spots where the blitz is coming from. Yeah, it's it's not a, that that also I think when so Chris is super high on Awazarike. And this is an example I of, think that's because of of how high people are on him. Right. But names. and so like this, the, this is kind of the example of that, of like the, you, you trend across where you've been and where you are mm-hmm. to where they were. And again, Texas tech and Baylor were still good defensive performances, but have we seen the pat the wor- two of the worst offensive performances they've had on the season have been the past two weeks with Baylor and Texas, even though Baylor only had 14 points still, they gave like 500 yards of offense. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, but you could see things that changed right. once, once he was gone against Texas Tech. Right. It, against Tech, and especially against Baylor. Yeah. So it was, yeah. Again, not, not, I, I was more disappointed with the defense, defense, but, but still in the same vein, I think disappointed is, isn't the right word because it wasn't necessarily like you, you, yeah, you're let down. Like you, ideally, you, you know, you want to do a better job. But in the same, like the, the eternal optimist in me says this. When is the last time any of these guys played this significant of a game? Ever. Yeah. Some guys won state championships. That's, that's fine. And that's, that actually is really big help because that environment, it feels the same. Like you play in front of... If you actually notice what they're recruiting, they do recruit a guy. They, they make a point to recruit people recruit, that, play that know on, how to win. Play on teams that have won a lot of games. That know how to win. Yeah. yeah. Because understanding what pressure feels like. So... It's all, you know, what, what somebody said, like happiness is reality minus expectations. And so if your expectations are that, you know, you expect it, this huge, giant, stressful thing to be there because you don't know what it's like, then the reality is this huge, giant, stressful thing. It's not very good. And so when you understand that it's still just a game like that happens, but, um, you know, like I said, guys have won championships before and guys like high school, but um, when was the last time that, again, it's 110,000 people, but 110,000 people, like once you get past a packed stadium of 30 
it, it all feels the same. Like 110 doesn't feel, and 30 may be low, but like 110,000 doesn't feel different than playing at Bill Snyder Stadium where, you know, 50 or 59 or 58, something like that. How does it feel uh, to 15-5 at, Lawrence, at <laughs> Kansas Memorial Stadium? Feels like pickup in the backyard. <laughs> um, but like when three quarters of the stadium is, is not, and I, when I say empty, I mean literally empty. If you're standing, you can go to a section of the stadium and be the only person there. It's remarkable. It's all steel too, so like it looks super empty. Yeah, but anyway. and now the Mad Hatter is there to revive, is to revive the revive the tradition that is Kansas football. I still think it's dumb that they fired David Beatty, um, even if you got less miles. But they said the point anyway. Like with the, the positive for this is this team has shown again outside of the whole Demonte Ruth thing, this team has shown that if you make a mistake once, they very rarely make a mistake twice. Mm-hmm. And that's learning from failure. And so that's one of the, like just a a life thing that like, uh, I think a lot of successful people try and live by is failure is only failure when you let it define you. And so if you don't learn from failure, then it becomes that failure. But failure becomes a great thing when you actually use it to learn. And so this experience of them playing in a really big environment and laying an egg for lack of, I mean, not for lack of a better term, but as, an, as a, a way that you could describe it, is they lay, just laid an egg in a big situation. I would very much expect with how young and talented this roster is that meaningful November games are not that far in the future. Like this time next year would be, you'd be playing Texas for probably a very similar setup. Like you're going to be competing for a, tra- a conference championship or, you know, you've lost two games in the season. You're competing for like a new year six bowl, even if maybe like, Oklahoma's undefeated and like, yeah. you know, whatever, Texas is undefeated. And even if you beat them, it's not a championship level thing, but you're still playing for significant value in November. I would bet that next year or the year after or the year after when the situation presents itself again, it doesn't happen. Like they're prepared and experienced for this based on the lesson of this. So the fact of them not doing well, it's not ideal, but is again, not a defining thing that I think that this staff will really allow for. You made a, the, the failure is only failure if you let it define you. Yeah. That sounds like uh, something that would be on like uh, some sort of image that you'd see like on an inspirational Ooh, yeah. quotes. Like uh, in, like it, in, would say, it would say failure is only failure if you let it define you. And then in the background, there'd be like really dark with like a beautiful sky with some trees. And or it would just say Jeff. Or it's like you're staring. It's like it's a picture from the bottom of a mountain. With someone Ooh, like there we go. you could yeah. see, you could see tracks that like slid down like out of the snow, but then you can see them trudging up the like next to those things. Like you, you could, you know, they're they're trying to recover. Have you seen the video of the polar bear trying to climb up the mountain? It's a grizzly bear. It's a little grizzly okay, bear. Okay, yeah, whatever. It yes, is. I have. Yes. It's adorable. <laughs> that's. I imagine that's what would be. Uh, it would like sit over that video. Failure is only failure if you let it define you, Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> No last name. You miss <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> you miss 100 shots that you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's hope that they don't let failure define them this Saturday when they take on Kansas State at Jack Trice Stadium. We'll talk more about that, and we will award this week's Ames Eye Clinic Eye Catching Player of the Game on Football and Random Things, presented by Iowa Diamond on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Hey guys, it's Chris Williams. We're in the heart of football season now. And I got to tell you, I feel a lot better than I did 
a year ago. And I owe a lot of that to Dr. Kruger at the Ames Eye Clinic. Also, uh, their Des Moines location is, they're called Des Moines Eye Care in Des Moines. Same guys, really great eye doctors. I never thought that I had eye problems. I don't really have problems seen or anything like that, but I was suffering from chronic headaches. I mean, it was nonstop. I always had a headache. And I think a lot of it was because I stared at a screen all day. Dr. Kruger took a look at my eyes, took him about a half hour, and he knew exactly what was wrong. Prescribed me some glasses that now I use while I'm on my computer, while I'm working for you guys at Cyclone Fanatic all day. And man, has it made a difference. I'm even sleeping better. I challenge you, if you have a problem like this, any sort of eye problem, to contact our friends at Des Moines Eye Care and the Ames Eye Clinic. You can check out DesMoinesEyeCare.com or AimsEyeClinic.com. I would encourage you to do this and tell them that we sent you. Tell them thank you for supporting what we're doing here at Cyclone Fanatic. All right, time to award this week's Ames Eye Clinic eye-catching player of the game. Goes to Hakeem Butler. Six catches, 99 yards for Hakeem the Dream. That was a pretty low bar. It was a pretty low bar. I don't think anybody really had an exemplary game. The other candidates were David Montgomery, who ran for 33 yards and a touchdown on 10 carries. And had a reception for, I believe, 40 yards. 22 yards. 22 yards. Three catches for 22 yards. Uh, Greg Eisworth had, he got 31% of the vote, so he finished second. Greg finished with 12 tackles. And a forced fumble. And a forced fumble. Uh, And then Lawrence White was also a candidate. 10 tackles, one tackle for loss with a sack. But it goes to Hakeem Butler with 33% of the vote. Six catches, 99 yards. Shout out to Hakeem. Ames Eye Clinic. Eye-catching player of the game. I'm uh, I'm excited for Saturday. Kind of get that taste out of your mouth. And it's been a while since uh, Iowa State has been successful. You seen the movie American Gangster? Uh, I have. Last time the Cyclones beat Kansas State, American Gangster was at the top of the box office. What other nuggets you got from, is it 2008? It's 2007. 2007. The uh, Writers Guild strike started two days later. I was a sophomore in high school. I was in the eighth grade. Last time Iowa State beat Kansas State. I was, uh, I would have been on MSN Messenger. Killing the game. Killing the game. Uh, what else would have been going on in 2007? Uh, well, I already put this in my Monday musings. Soldier Boy's crank that was at the. <gasps> that's, not what, that's not what he says. It's at the top of the Billboard charts. Remains a banger 11 <laughs> years later. It is still catchy as hell, but so bad. So bad. Are you going to Superman that? Word that we can't say on <laughs> without the explicit tag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Superman, that oh, that's what the that's what the, the edited the, ra- the radio version. That's what the edited uh, <laughs> edited lyrics said. Superman, that oh, ah, oh, that was bad. So 2007. There have been so many just uh, stupid close instances kiss, along the way. Kiss, kiss by Chris Brown and T Pain came out the next week. He would have been 16. Chris Brown. Yes, that was before Chris Brown became problematic. Before it became. Uh, I think problematic is a very euphemized way to put that. 
I'll go with a dick. <laughs> And he started making songs with Lil Dicky to try and like uh, try, <laughs> reform his image. Yeah, try and fix his image. It's like, man, nobody hates Lil Dicky. Like, I, I have to do a song with him. <laughs> he's, he's the most innocuous human in music right now. We hadn't even gotten the Carter Three yet. Like, we're still on the Carter Two. Ooh, the Carter Two was still hanging out in 2007. Oh, without a doubt, dude. I think the Carter Three came out in 09 or 10. I'd have to look at that to be completely sure, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. Well, I, probably, I think it's, it would have been probably 09 because I think I was a junior yeah, when I that think came it, out. I think it was 09. I think I was in high school when that came out. I wasn't even in high school yet last time Iowa State beat Kansas State. And total margin for victory outside of a couple instances has been what, like two and a half points? Well, I'm glad you asked i've got it right here uh okay 2007 iowa state wins 31 to 20 at jack trice stadium 2008 in one of the final ga- actually this might have been the final game of the ron prince era the wildcats win 38 to 30 at bill bill snyder family stadium 24 23 loss at arrowhead 27 to 20 loss at arrowhead 30 to 23 loss in Manhattan, 27 to 21 loss in Ames, 41 to 7 loss in Manhattan was real bad. That was not fun. I was there. That was real bad. That was your that was your senior year, I think. 32-28 at home. That was the Jake Waters running in at the end of the game. One. We all remember the 35 38 to 35 2015. The meltdown. 31-26 in Ames. And last year, one. they didn't didn't play each other last year, so it doesn't matter. I don't remember. I don't remember. It's one point. It was. It was twenty. It was twenty to nineteen. How many games was that? Nine. That was ten games, uh, excluding the bad one. So outside of that one. Oh yeah. So yeah, there's the one that was forty-one to. Outside seven. of that, the average margin of victory for Kansas State over nine years, outside of the one game, is four points. This game has been decided by an average of four point one points over the past decade. Again, aside from what was a very not fun senior year of football. Did they win the league that year? No. They did win the league the year before that, I think. That was with Colin Klein. Yeah. That was, yeah. That was, they lost, you guys lost 27 to 21. Which was bull. Again, did you play in the, in the game in Arrowhead? Yes. The second game in Arrowhead. Not the, I was redshirting the year that there was the missed extra point. The year that I played in Arrowhead, um, I was actually the offensive player of the week internally. Were you? Yep. I had like 11 carries for 64 yards or something like that. You have a touchdown? No one would remember anyway. Nope. Um, but yeah, that was the the Arnod misses a rod so, by a foot. Someone commented on there that on the thread for last week that they remembered you for something else besides the Oklahoma State game. Nice. You did something else. I think it was positive. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember exactly, but I know that there was someone that they made a comment. They're like that. Either that or they said that the reason that you are remembered uh, for the one thing is just because it was like, that's like everybody's favorite Irish, like Irish State football memory. Right. And, and to rehash that point again, I'm not complaining. Like the, again, champagne problems. Like 
I'm going to give you $20 or I'm going to give you $21. Like, would I like $21? Sure. Is $20 awesome in the relation to the rest of the things? Yes. Hey, Jeff, what do you do when on a punt block? Hands low. You need so to go close. and give a clinic. It's so close. It's so, it's so enticing. They almost got though. one on Saturday night. It's so enticing, though. I, I know you texted that to me right as it happened. It's so enticing to put your hands up in the air. I you... think we were sending that message like simultaneously <laughs> because right after I sent it, I got one from you. It was like we're both just thinking hands about the low. same thing. Hands low. Block your hands low. Block punts low, block kicks high. Stupid. Just missed. <laughs> Is that it? Are you done reflecting? <laughs> no, I'm trying to. I'm on a brain fart. Yeah, Corey Dunn. That's what his name is. Corey Dunn had a good game. Yeah, we're not going to give the Ames Eye Clinic eye catching player of the game to the punter, though. But, like, how many games did it significantly hinder Iowa State's chance to win? Not doing it. With I'm not giving him the, the Ames Eye Clinic eye catching eye-catching player, player of, the of the game. This is why I'm the host. <laughs> that's why I just sit here and talk. But I'm not going to give the award to a punter, but I am saying that it's a positive that he did perform well because throughout the season, that has been a position that has compromised Iowa state's ability to succeed by not being as good as the other team's punter, because really a punter becomes a weapon only by comparison to the other punter. So like if the other punter is booming 70 yard bombs and the offenses respectively are only getting 20 yards a drive, then you're playing out of your own end zone every single time. And then eventually the field's going to get flipped where like you just kicked the ball out at the 30 yard line. Cause you're standing in the back of your own end zone. But if both punters are kicking at 20 yards, then you're really not losing or gaining any field position by it. So relative to the other punters, he in the has, this year has done poorly, but this year, or this past week he did well. So let's acknowledge that 70 yard bomb. Sounds like the name of a Travis Hines cover band. <laughs> 70 yard bomb. <laughs> and only does, uh, Covers of like off metal music in the 80s, like Slayer <laughs> or Motorhead. It's the only things that he actually does that 70 Yard Bomb does covers of. 70 Yard Bombs. That's our new cover band. Do you know how to play anything? Nope. I know how to play the drums. Oh, neat. If I was going to pick an instrument, it would probably be. Drums or... I could see you slapping the bass. Slapping the bass. I would Actually, that's the one instrument that I would not want to learn. Why? As of right now. Because there's so much to do. Like, if you can play guitar, play piano, you can create a melody from something. And then that's, that's what, the, what everything gets built off of. And then the rhythm section, if you're going to need a rhythm section, the drums are what keeps everything going more than the bass, in my opinion. But like the bass line is an additional additive to the drum set. Like you can't just have a bass, but you can just have a set of drums. So in the rhythm section, it's like a, like a, a most important is the drums. And then second most important is the bass. And one can exist without the other and be weird. Like with just a bass the entire time. Like what if, I don't seven, know if you're really hitting the bass, dude, I feel like you can really, what I, if I, seven, I, there's nation- probably some guys who out there like, if we got pulled up the best bass player in the world. Like Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Like that's true. But like if you took the drum set out of that, then that's significantly weirder. But then you could, there are songs that exist without a bass. I think I just like, sorry to anybody that plays the bass. 
I'm not trying to to say you, your your instrument is meaningless, <laughs> but in relation to the drum set, the bass drum or the 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 bass is is less important. Somebody's going to take offense to that. No, no, you'll be good. On the internet, they, they understand. Oh, that's fair. It's the internet. It is. <laughs> you you are on a on a one week string of offending people, so it's okay. Woo. Ow. Hopefully we can, hopefully we can break that one this week. <laughs> uh, really, I, I think I'm probably that like, time was certainly more warranted than uh, than whatever anybody gets offended about the fact that they play the bass. If, if and I'm saying that the bass is less important than the drums, I think you need to apologize. I'm not going to. I'm going to take a stand on this. That the drums are more important than the bass. Oh no, I wasn't talking about that. <laughs> I was off of that now. Oh, I didn't know that you were off of that. Some people say I swear too much. Well, it's not that you swear too much. It's just that you use the good Lord's name in vain too many times. <laughs> say it. It sounded really, uh, sounded like you really meant it. <laughs> you guys can't see it, but Jeff's lips are moving like just very, very minimally. <laughs> oh man. All right. Kansas state. Let's actually talk about Kansas state. It seemed, didn't they win this week? They did. They won 21 to six. The hell? Against Texas tech. The hell? Where did this come from? Why do they start peaking again right before they get to Iowa State? You know what Kansas State's playing for this week? Bowl eligibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trying to win one for the Gipper, too. For the Vampire. However, it was their senior night last week, was it not? Probably. And this is Iowa State's this senior night. This is a season finale for them. So, so this is a the, – the, the neutralizing of the playing for bowl eligibility is the senior night card. So Iowa State's got the senior night card. And Kansas State has the bowl eligibility card. All like 10 seniors they have. Yeah. Well, we, I think we are. Are we going to have like a, is there any way to measure this? Like a prop bet of who gets the loudest applause? Cause like I mean, a, do you want to go down there with a decibel meter? Can you do that on your phone? I don't know if you could do it with your phone. I mean, I know decibel meters exist. Right. Like I, I want to hear like standing in the same spot. I, I would like to know who gets the loudest applause. It's got to be Kyle Kempt. Yeah. Kempt or PV. Brian PV. You want to know a dark horse one? Who? Mike Warren. Ooh. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. What's a dark horse? Dark horse option. Do we need to make this as a poll? And then like I'd be willing, because Chris and I, generally speaking, will stand at least for the first half outside. So be, Chris can have, we can just find whether it's a decibel, like a sound volume or sound measuring app. Yeah. He does one and stands on one side. And I stand on the other side. And then you can average them. And we can average them. So you kind of control for You'll like, be down there with your notepads taking very scientific notes. <laughs> I, I'll just, I will do, uh, uh, I'll screenshot each one of them. And uh, I can have Chris do the same thing. I like this idea. If you want to get Chris involved in on this, you, you can talk to him about this because I'm not convinced that he'll be I'll do it. overly interested in this, in this idea. I'll do it. Even if it's not Chris. We do, somebody will stand there. We can, get, we can recruit somebody who's going to be on the field. Jackie will be down there. Boom. There you go. Jackie stands on one side. I'll stand on the other side. We'll each have the same sound recording app and make sure that, you know, test it out beforehand, make sure it's official and like record each person. And then the highest peak 
was be that person that wins. And we can put this up as a poll who we think, uh, who's, who's going to get the highest one. Like I said, I think number two is a dark horse, but I think, I, it will be, it'll be, it'll I think be it's Kempt. Kempt. I think Kempt has got to be the odds on favorite. The one thing that Kempt has on his side, or like maybe hurts him, is that this is, this is round number two for Se- Kyle. Senior night number two. Yeah, this is round two for Kyle. So, uh, what would he, number be, 10 will be up there. He'd be, uh, two to three odds, right? Like he, something like that, where he's got to be the heavy favorite. Yeah. Right. And then PV second, PV would be second with something like, because of the odds of Kemp, like it's gotta be something like eight or nine to one. Yeah. And then Warren would be a dark horse at like 20 to one. Yeah. Matt Eaton will be up there. He, he, he long shot. Deandre Payne will be up. I mean, he would be towards the top. As far as noise is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who else? Man, I can't even think of anybody else. Demonte Ruth. Sam Seen Buckner. Sam Seen Buckner. Who else are seniors? Is that it? Willie. Yeah. Willie Harvey. That's another. It's especially another, with how well he's been playing. Yeah. Another, he, he'd probably be at 20 to 1, I would think. Another good one. Place if odds. anybody wants to go out and be the odds maker on this. I, I'm going to say something like 2 to 3 or like plus 150 for Kempt. And be like minus 150. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Minus 150, not plus 150. Um, I would say, yeah, minus 150 for Kempt. Then like five to one for PV. Then like 20 to one for Warren and like 50 to one for pretty much anybody else. Like Matt Eaton would be like a 50 to one. Willie, Sam, Willie would be on the 20 Willie, to one. Yeah, line. Willie would be a 20 to one line. And then like Sam Seenbuckner would be. I mean, probably better odds than Eaton because he's a gritty Midwesterner. So that would be like a, like a 40 to one, like slightly better odds than Eaton. That's fair. I can't argue that at all. And DeAndre Payne is probably in the same yeah. as Eaton, I think. Because he's good. Mm-hmm. He has been a serviceable player, has done well. They've, done, they've both done good things, memorable things for the mm-hmm. revival of the program. But they have not been what you would call a, a face. Right. Or a heartstrings story. Yeah, yeah. Like Mike Warren is a heartstring story. Kyle Kemp is a heartstring story. Brian Peavy is a heartstring story. Mike Warren, when he runs out of the tunnel, it will be us looking back on where we came from. Yeah. It'll be a... Man, that's a good dark horse. That's a it'll good be ball. a moment of remembering. I think, I, I think we have to move him up the board. Okay, let's because put him at twelve to so one. I think twelve to one. Twelve to one. So I think there's. We should write this down. You got a paper? I do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. And people can. A paper. People can weigh on this. So we're. So we're minus one fifty for Kemp. I have a pen. I don't have a paper. Okay. So we're minus one fifty for Kemp. And this has. I feel like this has to go. I, I don't know if anybody. We can't obviously take bets. No, on this. no, that's kind of illegal. Well, the, well, they could be put on the on Cybookie on CycleFanatic.com oh, on the there forums. You go. So Kempt minus one fifty, PV five to one. Yeah, we had Mike Warren twelve. To Mike one. Warren twelve to one. Harvey twenty to one. Twenty to one. Matt Eaton. Matt Eaton's it. Or Sam Seenbuckner is thirty to one. Okay, thirty to one. Matt Eaton, Eaton. Matt Eaton and DeAndre Payne at 50. And then all others. All other, or yeah, the field. The field uh, would, be, would be like 100 to 1. Like yeah. there's no way. Yeah. 
I feel like we're forgetting someone, but there's I don't some, know who it could possibly be. There's no offensive lineman. No. No defensive lineman. There's no defensive lineman. Uh, Mark or uh, Spencer Benton. Doesn't he come? Is Spencer Benton a senior? I think he's a junior, isn't he? Spencer Benton, I think, goes on the Willie Harvey line. If how, about, how about Camilo Tongamoa? <laughs> Field. Oh, no. Spencer Benton's a senior. Yeah. So yeah. Spencer Benton, I think, is, is in the Willie Harvey line because yeah. he's from Van Meter. Yeah, but I just I don't know. Do people know Spencer Benton like right? that? I'm just saying, like, but, but because he's from Van Meter, okay. he's going to get the Iowa okay. bump. Yeah, yeah, the, that's And fair. from Van Meter, Iowa. That's fair. Oh, yeah, Van, yeah. Van Meter. Yeah. All right, I'm looking at the list of seniors. Um, Chris Francis? Uh, field. Yeah. Man, it's crazy just how few seniors there are. <laughs> this is a fun little activity. Like I said, encouraging for next few years. This is also riveting radio while you scan Reg- through a list. Regan Northrup. He's a field, but field. It's a guy that played a lot of snaps. Yeah. Um Lawrence no, not Lawrence White. Will Wyndham. <laughs> yeah. Dude, Camilo Tongamoa will be like the one that everybody will give applause for. And it's like he he might have the loudest applause for like the most like the largest applause to on-field performance disparity. <laughs> As oh wow, this could have been better. Yeah, this this could have gone. This did not go the way that everyone was expecting. I think when he was recruited. I wonder if we have enough pull, like enough of a listenership with people that are actually there. That one that have stuck around this long, because we're an hour twenty into it. I think. Uh, we're about yeah yeah we're right right around there. an hour twenty, including the ads. If yeah. people are still around at an hour twenty. I don't know how what percentage are here. Thank you, if you still are. I don't know how many pe- those people are actually going to be in the uh, in the game to make this difference. Like that, we're actually bringing it up. That, does that now sway? Right now, are you thinking about who am I going to cheer for the most wildly? You know. Yeah, and I'm going to be silent during the game. Well, ah, here's the problem: is we have to have some like the uh, the local cheers around, like uh, who you're standing next to. Yeah. Local cheers. That that's that's a difference. Well, you're gonna have to stand by yourself. I gotta stand, yeah. I gotta find a space that's pretty solo. But that's why it's important that you're like you're on one side, somebody else is on the other side to average them. Yeah, to control for it. Yeah, yeah. We need a control group. We right. need someone in the middle of the field now. We need somebody stand <laughs> on the fifty just with a phone next to Matt Campbell while he's trying to hug the seniors as they're coming right. on the field. You're just like holding your phone up in the air. <laughs> Can you move? Hold, hold on. Hold on. We're conducting a very scientific experiment. Okay? We're doing something here. Yeah. Vegas is involved. Yeah. <laughs> Vegas or someone a little bit like them is involved. Okay. <laughs> Just back up, Matt. Get out of here. All right. Do you have anything else to say to say this week? I think there's good money to be made on Warren if this was actually was bet somewhere. This is going to be the thing that uh, that moves Jeff to start his own underground bookkeeping business 12 to one. I mean, that's, I feel like that I can't, we can't move him any higher. My friend, uh, my friend made a bet on Joel Embiid to win the NBA MVP at 12 to one this year. My friend is, is his name Starid Mansberry? It might be, (laughs) it might be, uh, like I said, do you have anything left to say? I don't have anything left to say other than 
Are we going to beat the Wildcats? I think so. I think there is enough talent and execution uh, to do it. How is the everyone health, bring their garlic? How is the health of the Brock? The Brock practice yesterday from what coach That's what I, I figured it was just a you're freaked out i think that he seat. probably got uh yeah I mean, i'm sure he got dinged up like or a something. charlie horse yeah but it was like at that point the game was basically over when well, he was so buried in his own head yeah at that point it was just like all right man we're just not gonna risk it anymore. well and the good news for him is uh texas and todd orlando and Todd Orlando is known to throw the kitchen sink a lot, like be super creative and come up with every possible way to bring pressure. Bill Snyder's teams are the exact opposite of that. Sure. It would be nice to see that guy go somewhere else. Who Todd Orlando? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey buddy. Looks, uh, looks like there's an sec job open. You want to go take it? Huh? Hey Todd, there's a, there's an opening at Maryland. You want to go, <laughs> go take it. <laughs> Did you see Urban Meyer on Saturday? No. Urban, Urban doesn't look too good. He needs to keep his job. There's, what a, we're there's a, lot of, a lot of people saying that uh, he might not be might not be around much longer. Well, might be some rumblings. Hopefully that day might character. be stepping down. Hopefully that day character becomes the new head coach. I would imagine he will be since they've already named him the coach in Whitey. It's good. It is very good. It's good. Okay, cool. Hook him. <laughs> did you see? Did you see that she was wearing that shirt? Who was? Herman's wife. Seriously, wore a shirt that said "Okay, cool, hook him," and then the profits of that shirt that were being made go to do, uh, domestic violence for women. Weird flex, but okay. Lemons to lemonade, right there. That is weird flex. That is a power move. Like I said, that's a flex. That is. That is a major flex. Man, okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Iowa Diamond, for being the presenting sponsor of Football and Random Things. Thank you, Jeff. See you next week for episode 12. Okay, cool. Hook him. Talk to you guys later. Peace.